Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. Thank you for joining us as well. I want you to pretend that uh, to celebrate our birthday today, that I had a $50 gift card, and we actually do have some $50 gift cards after the service, but pretend I had one in the service, and it was a gift card to your favorite restaurant. So think about whatever that favorite restaurant is, and for you, I mean, there's a gift card, and, and all you had to do to get this gift card was basically say yes to it and, and come grab it. Uh, it's not, you wouldn't have to buy it, you wouldn't have to pay for it, you wouldn't have to make any kind of commitments, it's just a gift, $50 gift card, your favorite restaurant, and all you had to do was say yes and just come take it. That would be pretty special. But same scenario, that there was, you know, think of the exact same scenario, but this time there, there's some differences. And so the, the things that are the same is that, hey, there's a $50 gift card, it's a gift, it's 100% free, uh, all you have to do is come take it, but, but here's the part that's different. You're going to get blindfolded, there's going to be two families that throw rocks at you while you're coming to get your gift card, another couple families are going to sick their vicious dog on you while you're coming to get that gift card, and then in order to get it, you also have to crab walk around the entire auditorium and make your way to the stage to get your very, your free. It's absolutely free. There, you don't have to pay for it. It's a gift. You have to come and take it, but you'd have to do it with all those kind of obstacles and, and all those things in your way. For a lot of you, you'd be like, Chris, it's going to need to be a little more than $50 for me to do all that. Because for most of us, we would say, you know what? $50, that's free, that's a gift, man, that's great. But at that point, when we start putting a blindfold on and we get dogs chasing us and rocks are pelting us and all these obstacles are in the way, we would probably come to the end, kind of, kind of to ourselves and just say, you know what, it's probably just not worth it for me to go through all that trouble to get the free gift. And as absurd as that illustration is, that's exactly what the church does sometimes. And here's what I mean. You're like, Chris, what do you mean? We have hands down the greatest gift in the history of mankind. We, we have hope. We have an eternity with Jesus. We have literally the greatest gift. It transforms. It gives hope. It leads to an eternity with God. It's free. You can't lose it. It's a gift. Someone else paid for it, and you're, if you're, you're new or maybe you're watching online, you're like, Chris, what gift are you talking about? The gift of a relationship with God. The Bible's really clear that because of our sin, because we've disobeyed God, because we've done things our own way, our relationship with God has been broken. 
And because of that, our sin needs to be paid for. Someone has to pay for our sin so that we can fix the brokenness in that relationship with God. Well, because God didn't want us to have to pay for our own sin, he sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life, and at the age of 33, and you've heard this before, he died on a cross, he shed his blood, they put his body in the grave, and he rose from the grave. He paid for our sins, and he makes available a relationship with God because of him. And and here's the thing about that relationship. The only barrier to you getting that relationship is you saying yes to it and receiving it. No one forces that relationship on you. No one twists your arm and makes you say yes to God. The only barrier between you and a relationship with God, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, is you and I saying yes to that relationship and believing and taking it. But but here's the thing. Unfortunately, in some cases, the church has maybe unintentionally made this gift really confusing by adding a bunch of unnecessary barriers to people saying yes to that gift. It's one of the reasons that at the beginning of this year, we've taken a few weeks to look into scripture and remind ourselves of some of the things that we value as a church. And one of those values that we're going to talk about today that has to do with this illustration I just told you is a value of clarity. And here's what we mean when we say clarity. We will go to great lengths to tear away unnecessary barriers to people embracing Jesus. We want to go to great lengths, and we do as a church. We go to great lengths to tear away, and this is, this is important, unnecessary barriers to people embracing Jesus. And one of the reasons we feel so strongly about this is because of a story that you may have heard that was written by a guy named Mark. In Mark's kind of, he, he, he wrote about Jesus' life. He got a lot of his information from Peter. And in Mark chapter 2, he tells the story of a guy and some of his friends who went to great lengths to tear away unnecessary barriers to their friend coming to, to meet Jesus. Look with me at Mark chapter 2. And and kind of lean into this story, and maybe you've heard it before. It says this, when he entered, Jesus, when he entered Capernaum, again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus had been out ministering, he had been been kind of doing his thing, He's, he's seeing people, healing people, speaking to people, telling people about the good news, and now he was kind of in his home area, probably he probably stayed at Peter's house. He was in Capernaum. This is kind of their home base. And, and the word got out that Jesus was in town. And so it says this in verse 2, so many people gathered together that there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. So in this culture, hospitality was real important. The houses obviously weren't huge. 
And so, man, having a, a house full of people, people coming over to your house, that was normal. And so people found out that Jesus was in town. He was taking the opportunity to do some teaching. And, and so the house filled up so that literally there wasn't even a space to get in the door. The house was full. And it says this in verse 3. It says, they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they decided to go home and come back the next day. No, that's that's not what it said. So so full house, nobody can get in. Some some friends, they have a buddy man that's paralyzed. He's man, he's sick and and, and they've, they've heard, maybe they've even seen Jesus heal other people. And so for them, it's like, man, if we can get our friend to Jesus, it could be a game changer for our friend. So they come, and I don't know if they were hoping that, man, nobody else knew that Jesus was there, but they get there, and it's like, oh, man, we, we, can't, even, we can't even get ourselves in there, let alone our friend. And so it goes on, and it says this, and I love this. So they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. So in this setting, usually the roof was kind of used almost like we would use a back porch. It was a lot of times flat and there were stairs up to it. And and, uh, so these people, they're like, hey, we can't get our friend to Jesus. So, hey, let's. And I don't know if one of them's like, hey, dude, what about the roof? Maybe we could break in through the roof. But but one of them had that idea and they, they go up to the roof and. I mean, they just start, I'm sure Peter wasn't real fond of this, people breaking through his roof, but man, they just start pulling back. And, it, and this wasn't probably easy. It probably took a little bit of work, but man, they, they take apart the roof and all of a sudden, and, and tell me this wouldn't freak you out if all of a sudden, like in the middle of our service, just a person starts being lowered on a mat. I mean, this is basically what happened. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, wow, it's a little lighter in here than we thought it was. Oh, that's because there's a hole in the roof, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy, and it says this. With Jesus, he, he saw this, and, and it says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting that Jesus, when he saw the faith of these people, he didn't start by saying, hey, buddy, you're healed physically. What he started with is he started with this guy's heart. And and, and here's what you know. You and I have no ability to heal someone physically, and we have no ability to change someone's heart. And probably every single person in the room has tried Every single one of us at some point in our life has, man, we've, we've seen somebody maybe going down a wrong way or a wrong path, and, and we've been afraid for somebody. We wish somebody would make different decisions. And so if we could go inside of them and change their heart, we would have done it. And, but we know we can't. And these people knew, man, we can't heal this guy. We can't fix his issues, but we can get him to somebody that can. And so that's what they did. They, they decided we can't do it just like you and I can't. So let's rip away all the barriers and get him to the one who can fix him, who can help him, who can give him hope, who can heal him. So that's what they did. But of course, there was a group of people in the room that weren't big fans of Jesus that didn't like this. And it says this in verse six. But some of the scribes, kind of the religious leaders, they were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Basically, they're saying, this Jesus cat, he, he's claiming to be God. Bingo. Yeah. He, yeah, he's claiming to be. Because only God can forgive sins. And what's so interesting in this society, and, and it's not much different than, than even in our society, sometimes religious people are the biggest barriers to people coming to meet Jesus. And that's what the people that should have known God best, the people that had studied the most, they were some of the people that were putting the biggest barriers in the way of people meeting Jesus. And so, man, they are not having this. They're not excited about this. They don't like what Jesus is doing. They, they, they were not big fans of Jesus even before this. And it says this, Jesus in verse 8 says this, right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? See, Jesus, he knew what they were, he, they were thinking. And instead of avoiding it, he's like, all right, let's go there. Let's go. Let, let's talk about it. Why, why are you thinking these things? And Jesus asked a question, and he did this a lot. He asked questions to kind of pull out people's what was really going on in their heart. He says this. So which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, take your mat and walk? So on the surface, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove that. That's on the inside. It'd be impossible to disprove. Now, healing someone who's paralyzed, that they had all watched be paralyzed for a long time, and seeing that person not paralyzed, man, that would, that would seem harder because it's more obvious. But, but look what Jesus does. In verse 10, it says, But so that you may know... That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He's like, I'm going to heal his physical body, which will prove that I have the power to heal him spiritually. And so that's what Jesus did. Verse 12 says this, immediately, and I love that. It's not like, hey, dude, in 72 hours, you're going to start to see some things change. You're going to start to feel a little better. No, immediately, this dude who hasn't been walking for who knows how long, he gets up, took up the mat, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I mean, their minds were blown. They had never experienced anyone like Jesus. And, and after this, the very next thing that happens in verse 13 is, is watch what Jesus does next. It says, Jesus went out like this is just another day, just healed the dude that came through the roof. Now let's go on to the next thing. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The, the whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. So Jesus is done healing, celebrate. Guy walks away. It's great. And Jesus is like, hey, man, let's see. Y'all want to walk by the lake and kind of keep this conversation going? So he's, he's walking out, and, and the crowd's just, at this point in Jesus' ministry, crowds are just following him everywhere. 
I mean, you, you probably follow him too if you had just seen somebody that was paralyzed start to walk. And so people are just really intrigued and they're wondering who this Jesus guy is and they're, they're watching him. And so he, he's, he's walking and all of a sudden he walks by the tax collector's booth, Levi. Levi was probably a guy that he knew. He probably had interacted with Levi. Levi had heard about Jesus, probably had heard about his message. Just wasn't the first time that Levi and Jesus had probably interacted But in this society, and and you may know this already, but tax collectors were the bottom of the bottom of the bottom rung in society. They were the most hated. They had their own category of of like hatred for these people. And here's why. And and you would understand this if you, you knew what they were going through. So what a tax collector was, they were a Jewish person who had bought like a, a tax collector franchise from Rome. And what they had done, that what they were doing is they were collecting taxes for Rome from their own people. So they were, it was, it was awful. And, and not only were they collecting taxes for Rome, which was enough to make people really mad, collecting money for the enemy, but they were also, they could keep extra money. So most of them were very dishonest and they would collect more than what they owed Rome and they were fairly rich guys because, and they were getting rich on the backs of their own people. So they were hated. No one, no one liked, it wasn't a a good thing to be a tax collector. And so Jesus passes by this tax collector's kind of booth and it says this, and he said to him, Levi, which his name was Matthew as well, follow me. And he got up and followed him. This is, again, this to us is like, oh, that's cute. Matthew started to follow Jesus. You talk about some prejudice to have this tax collector that was hated. People despised him. All of a sudden, just start to join the crowd. This is, man, this is a tough, this is tough for a lot of people. And so he, he followed him, and, and, and Matthew, because I'm a fairly wealthy guy, he decides, man, I'm going to hold a, a feast for Jesus. I'm going to invite all my tax collector friends, all the, all the, I'm going to, we're going to celebrate being, going to follow in Jesus. So he does that. He, he has a feast, and he invites all his friends, and it says this, while, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were, and this is crazy, many who were following him. So many of the tax collectors, many of the sinners, they were following Jesus. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, why is Jesus hanging out with these people? Someone who claims to be God should not associate with this crowd. We don't even agree that he's God, but we don't think he should be associating with this crowd. I mean, these people will flat out ruin your reputation if you hang out with them. And Jesus is just sitting at the table with a bunch of them, hanging out, having a great time. And when Jesus heard this, this is what he said. He, he answers them with a, a well-known proverb, a, a saying that they would have known. He says this, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. 
I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, think about it. The fact that that Jesus was even present on earth was removing barriers. The fact that Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth And that he would spend time with people who needed him. People who, man, they did have a past. People who did have a bad reputation. People that you probably didn't want your kids to hang out with. Jesus was spending time with them. And and he was tearing away the barriers that the religious system had built to the people that needed God. He was tearing away barriers. During his ministry, Jesus tore away cultural barriers He spent time with people. He tore away barriers as it relates to women. Women were treated terribly in this time. And Jesus tore away those barriers. He tore away barriers. He hung out with people that others, they they thought were unlovable. People that weren't invited into the religious system. Jesus spent time with. He made those people his priority. And after living 33 years on earth... He destroyed the biggest barrier in history. And that was the barrier of sin. Sin separates us from God. And Jesus tore away that barrier so that we would even have the opportunity to say yes to a relationship with God. See... And this is really important. Truth is and will always be a necessary barrier to people embracing Jesus. So when you tear away unnecessary unnecessary barriers, and then there's a few necessary barriers. And truth is a necessary barrier. Jesus never compromised truth. He didn't go into different rooms and like, well, in this room, I need to kind of say it this way and kind of lower the bar and... No, no, no. He, he, he was very straightforward about truth. Truth is a barrier. At the end of the day, if someone doesn't believe and someone doesn't agree with Jesus, then I'm, there's not another option. It's a barrier. But, but what Jesus did is he removed all the unnecessary barriers so that people could connect with him, so that people could find hope in him. In fact, Jesus said it this way, and if this, I mean, this verse itself is pretty straightforward. He said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am, he didn't say we are, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he, he didn't misquote himself here. He said, no one, not a few people, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, hey, there's five options. I think I'm the best option, but there's five to choose from. No, he was pretty straightforward. There's one way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. If you want a relationship with God, there's one road to get there, and it comes through me. And that's a barrier. That's a barrier. And, and maybe for you, that over the years, that's like, man, that's what I just can't get over. Maybe you're watching online and it's like, Chris, I just, at this point in my journey, it's just, man, I just, isn't there four or five ways? And isn't just everybody end up in the right place? And that's not what Jesus said. 
Maybe that's what other people have said, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus made it clear that, man, there is one way to a relationship with God. There's a necessary barrier, and that barrier is truth. But truth, though it's necessary, we don't have to add four or five unnecessary barriers to people connecting with Jesus. And and I would guess that no church, no individual follower of Jesus ever means to build barriers to people connecting with Jesus. If you've been to a church in, in your past and you'd be like, man, I was feeling led to go to church, and I I felt led to maybe say yes to Jesus, but man, the way I was treated and and some of the things that happened there just kind of totally turned me off. I promise you, those people probably didn't set out to do that. If you have a friend that, man, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you have a friend that, man, has has talked to you about Jesus, but then did some things to kind of turn you off to it, I promise you, they probably didn't mean to. We don't set out to to put up barriers, but what happens is, and it happens to churches and it happens to individuals as well, is we, what happens is Jesus gets moved kind of from the center and other things become priority. Jesus is the center at the beginning, but then all of a sudden after a few years, tradition becomes the center. Uh, My comfort becomes the center. And I kind of like the way we do it. And if we did it differently, yeah, we could reach a few more people, but I like it this way. It's more comfortable for me. And so what starts to happen is our traditions, our comfort, our cultural agenda, we start to, like people start to think, you know what, if I don't vote like them, they don't welcome me. And so they, they, or if I don't look exactly like them, or if my past doesn't line up with their past, and if I don't have all that together, then, then I, I can't really feel welcome there. And, and, and we're, we're sitting here saying, you know what? None of that should be a barrier. The only barrier should be truth, not who you vote for, not what your past is, not how you dress, not what I think is comfortable in church. Those things shouldn't be a barrier, but that has become a barrier in a lot of settings. And what we want to do as a church and as individuals is tear away all the unnecessary barriers to people connecting with Jesus. And so here's a question, real personal, because I think there's definitely some personal application, but then there's also some application for us as a church. Here's the the question. What can I do to remove unnecessary barriers to people connecting with Jesus? What can I do? Like in my own life, think about your own life. If you're a follower of Jesus, is there stuff in my own life and the way I do life that's actually hindering other people from seeing Jesus clearly? Is there things that, that, man, are there barriers? But then kind of the second way, the the second application is, okay, think about it as a church. Are there barriers? Are are there unnecessary barriers to people connecting with Jesus? And so as I thought about this, I thought about it first personally. Let's think about this personally. Uh, A few things that just came to my mind that I think if we're going to tear away unnecessary barriers 
to, to people connecting with Jesus and finding hope in the gospel, then, then personally, a, a few things I, th- I thought of. One is this. Remember what's most important. I think this is, when we go out into eternity, a lot of the things that we rail on and think are so important and post on Facebook, they're not going to matter. It's just not going to matter. And when we do that, we think, oh man, let's, let's do that. I got to make sure my, that people know where I stand on this. And all the while, other people that don't agree with you, you're turning them off to what you would, might want to talk to them about Jesus. I, I heard one pastor say it this way, don't lose influence to win an argument. And I think we do that, man, at the church a lot. We do that a lot. Man, we want to win the argument. And yeah, maybe we win the argument, but we lose influence in our culture because we're so focused on winning an argument that doesn't matter. And so the first thing is, I think, man, remember what's most important. This is individual. Man, Jesus is the lead story. He's what matters. He's what matters in the life and eternity of the person that sits in the cubicle next to you at work. He's what's going to matter when you go to a restaurant today and and somebody waits on your table. He is what's going to matter. And so let's remember and let's, let's keep focused on what's most important. Second thing, and this is real simple. Invite one of the biggest obstacles to people getting connected at a, a church or in a small group, is no one invited them. Uh, there, you, you, can, you can look at studies and, and people say, a high percentage of people say, if someone would invite me, I'd go. If someone would invite me and sit with me, if somebody, I'm not going to go by myself, but if somebody that cares about me, somebody in my life actually invites me, I'll go. And, and some of you are like, Chris, yep, that's my story. Somebody loved me enough and just said, hey, you want to come to church with me? And I've been here for a year and a half now, Chris. Somebody said, hey, you want to come to a small group with me? You would have never went by yourself, but somebody invited you and you came. Another thing that's that's individual, and this is important, and you go into the parking lot and you'll see why. Join a team. Join a team. Here, here's, here's what needs to happen at City Walk Church, and this is kind of in-family talk right now. So if you're new to us, this is not necessarily for you, but if this is your home, we need to go to two services after Easter. If you go out to our parking lot, there's a handful, maybe two or three, four parking spots left. And one of the barriers to people coming to church and getting connected is they ain't going to sit on top of somebody. That's just the the kind of the notion is, hey, if it's 70 to 80% full, that's full. And so after Easter, we need to go to a second service. If we grow it all at Easter, we won't have enough places to park people. And so we need, and, and so in order for that to happen, in order for individual people in here to help tear away unnecessary barriers of being crowded, it's, man, we, we need a few more people to join some teams so that we can fully staff two services. But, but let's talk about a gather as a gathering. As we think about tearing away unnecessary barriers to people connecting with Jesus, one of the barriers to people connecting with the church is location. You know that. 
I use this as an illustration. I, I like Phil's coffee. So yesterday I went to Phil's coffee. You know why I went to Phil's coffee yesterday? Because I was driving from Manteca home. And so I was passing one. But at, at, from my desk, from my house, 41 miles away is the closest Phil's. And believe me, I've looked several times. Because I like Phil's coffee. But guess, guess what I don't do? Very rarely do I get in my car and say, you know what? I want to go to Phil's coffee. I'm going to drive 41 miles to go get a coffee at Phil's. Though I love it. If there was a Phil's in this city, we'd have to live in a smaller house because we wouldn't be able to pay our mortgage probably. Because I'd probably spend, no, no. Because, no, I'd go a lot. I'd go a lot. Because location. Same for you. If there was a Chick-fil-A probably in our town, some of y'all are like, preach it. (laughs) Like you'd go a lot. Or you think of whatever that favorite restaurant that's in Sacramento or Rockland or Roseville, if it was in town, man, you would go a lot. You'd probably go a couple times a year now because it's, man, location is a barrier. That's why we, from the very beginning, feel like God has called us to plant multiple neighborhood churches within a 90-mile radius of where we're at. Because the the idea of a regional church that people are just going to, hey, an hour and a half away, just going to drive in, sometimes they'll do that, but not most people, not lost people. And so that's why we're planting City Walk in Edgewater about 15 to 20 minutes from where we sit right now, we're planting City Walk in Edgewater. I think we have a picture of the gym. This is where on February 18th, we'll hold our first preview service in Edgewater. It's why next week, in fact, this is our last week that our Edgewater team will be with us because next week during our service, they're going to be practicing, like setting up, tearing down, doing all that stuff. And the reason we're, we're doing this is because can those people drive here? Yes. You're like, yeah, we do. Some of you do. But if we're really going to reach that neighborhood, we need to go to that neighborhood and tear away the barrier of location. Another thing that we're going to do over this next year, and, and maybe this is new to some of you if you're new to our church, we're going to continue to walk towards the opportunity to plant in Willows, California. So I think we got a building. I'll show you. So this building has been given to our church if we want it. So if we want it, though, that's a bit, because it's an hour away. So it's like, oh, do we really want this? So this building's been given to our church. And so if you've been here for a few months, you know, in October, we did our first event in Willows just to see how how it went. We did a pumpkin party event right in this parking lot. I led a lady named Claudia to the Lord right here. I remember it was just an awesome, awesome day. And so this summer, we're going to run sports camp in this city. And then in August, we're going to start a monthly Saturday evening service throughout the fall with the idea that in the new year, that we would begin weekly services in this community. Just yesterday, this is no joke. I follow the What's Up in Willows Facebook site. Just yesterday, here's what was was on it. Hey, does anybody know of a Christian church in town that I could go to? Very first two. The very first, the very first comment. 
yeah, there's a Latter-day Saints church, you're invited. And there was a couple other churches, and, and, and some of the other churches, man, they honestly, they're just churches that don't really teach what we've talked about today, about Jesus and Him being the only way. And so we're going to walk towards this, because we're going to want to tear away unnecessary barriers. And one of those barriers is location. You guys, over this last few years, have tore away unnecessary barriers by giving towards our People Must Know campaign. If you're new to us, what we did as a church is we, about a year, a little less than a year and a half ago, we set out to raise funds above and beyond our giving to help us do two things. One, to plant in, in Edgewater, but the second thing we wanted to do is we wanted to put some money away so that we could get a permanent location in this area. And so to date, and this is awesome, you guys have committed $208,000 above and beyond what you already give. And you did that because you wanted to tear away unnecessary barriers. And so God has been really, really good to our church over these first five years, and we are excited about this next season. And this next season, hopefully, is about tearing away more unnecessary barriers so that hundreds and thousands of people cannot know CityWalk's name, but can know Jesus' name and find hope in the name of Jesus. Today we're going to close a little different than what we normally do for our message. And I'm going to call our team out here that is going to, starting next week, be in Edgewater. And we're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to pray for our team. Because you are sending these people out to reach another neighborhood about 20 minutes from here. And so we're going to we're going to have them come out, and we're super thankful for this crew, and uh, some that probably can't be here today, but super thankful for these. And, and you be praying. We're going to pray for them right now, but be praying for them, because over this next season, if you've ever been a part of church planting in a gymnasium that looks like a gymnasium and not a church, man, it's not easy. All the stuff we have here is going to back up to that school in a trailer. And Oompa Loompas aren't going to come out and unload it and set up. These people are. And so we're going to pray for them. And so as I pray for them, I would ask maybe you would just pray right where you're at. And would you pray for a few things? Would you pray that God would protect these people physically, spiritually? Because Satan hates what's happening. Would you also pray that God would give us favor in that neighborhood and as people see that there's a church that they would, and they won't even know what to call it, they would just feel drawn to come to church. And then would you just pray that, man, over this next few months that people that don't know Jesus today would come to know Jesus because this group is tearing away unnecessary barriers so that people can connect with Jesus. And so let me pray out loud, and you pray right where you're at for these people, and let's just pray for them and ask God to do an amazing work 
as they move out from us over this next few weeks to plant City Walk Church in Edgewater. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for this group of people, Lord, that are, have already made sacrifices. Lord, they've made sacrifices. They're, they've signed up to make more sacrifices, all so that people who today don't know you, people that today, if they were to die, would spend an eternity without you, also that those people will know and love and worship you. And God, I pray for them over this next few weeks. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would protect them spiritually. I pray that you would protect them physically. God, I pray that as we have two preview services in that community over this next month, that God, you would draw people from that community to join this team. So that when we have our first public service on Palm Sunday, that God, this team would have grown and that people would come to know you and love you and worship you. God, I pray that you would protect this team from any anything that the enemy wants to do, Lord, any strategies that he has, any plans that he has. God, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would provide everything that this team needs, both financially, physically, mentally, Lord, that you would provide for them. And God, our desire is that you would use these individuals in a unified way to represent, not city walk, but to represent Jesus Christ, our King, in the Edgewater community. In Jesus' name, amen.